Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Friday episode, Texas A&M versus South Carolina. Final preview, Chris. We ha- we actually haven't talked about the game itself a ton on this show. We have on 107.5, obviously, but haven't really gotten into all the nitty-gritty. We're going to do that today. Also going to hear from David Sandhop of Texags, a uh, kind of unofficial partner with On3. Texags is not a member of the On3 network, but is I believe the official Texas A&M website partner of On3 is, is maybe how it's communicated there, I guess. But Texags, for those who don't know, Texags is like one of the biggest, baddest websites out there when it comes to covering athletics of a particular team. Um, Chris is just shaking his head because, yeah, it's crazy. There In are, opinion. yeah, there's, there's maybe three or four sites across all of college athletics, Texags being one of them, that is just like up there. And, and, and most of them, Chris, their reach expands well beyond that little corner of the internet, basically. So okay. we will hear from uh, David Sandhop and his interview with Tyler Head on 107.5 with our partnership with them. We'll be playing that later on and then reacting to it. Of course, we'll give our complete preview. And we're going to talk about South Carolina's newest commitment, Jaden Sellers. No surprise there. Very familiar last name. Older brother, Lenoris, obviously on the Gamecock roster. Jaden committing to South Carolina on Thursday. So we're going to dive into that commitment, what it means, what type of player he is as South Carolina gets on the board for 2025. But first, going to tell you about our friend Clint Hammond, clinthammond.com. He is, of course, with Movement Mortgage, 803-771. Six nine three three, and Chris, let's go ahead and tell everybody about Trey Harrell as well. Let's tell everybody about Trey West. That's a fantastic idea. Let me go ahead and put up a graphic that you need for those of you watching. That is at Trey Helps. What handle you need to remember, Wes, because he is on Instagram, he is on Twitter, and he is on TikTok. That's where you can go to get some helpful tips from Trey Harrell. Um, he is the best personal injury attorney. And that is according to the readers of the Post and Courier. I didn't make it up, Wes. This is what the people voted. That's Trey Harrell, auto accident attorney right here in the state of South Carolina. Great guy. Also a very helpful guy. He helps folks that are injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country and all over the state of South Carolina. So if you have unfortunately been injured in an auto accident, or if you know somebody who has, don't go at it alone. Find you an attorney who's going to fight for you. Find someone who's going to fight to get what you deserve to fight for your rights. Find an attorney who helps. And remember that Trey helps us at Trey helps on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, or go to attorneyharrell.com on the web. Appreciate Trey Harrell helping us bring you GC live a couple times a week. Yeah. Shout out to Trey and uh, shout out to everybody who was already joining us there in the chat. Checking in, uh, hitting the hitting the clock as usual, even with the Gamecocks struggling. We appreciate y'all continuing to support the show. Gamecocks heading to Texas A&M this weekend. We're gonna get into how that, frankly, guys, is just a it's a tough matchup, man. And I, I think it would have been a tough matchup regardless. But then you add in the injuries, you add in where those injuries have taken place, add in the defensive struggles, and going to be very very tough for South Carolina to return from College Station with a win of course that's why you play the games you never completely counted out the beauty of football the beauty of sports is you just never quite know what's going to happen when you line it up and actually go play the games as opposed to playing them on paper so we're all going to find out tomorrow afternoon South Carolina versus Texas A&M 
But Chris, first, let's talk a little bit about Jaden Sellers. Uh, South Florence standout, the first 2025 commit for South Carolina. First of all, just a very no-nonsense commitment here, Chris. Yeah. Even right down to the fact that you had a welcome home from Shane Beamer. And then luckily I went ahead once we found out who it was. I went ahead and started getting my story ready. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of, well, a welcome home these days doesn't mean a commitment is going to put it out publicly necessarily that hour or even that day or even that week. Well, started working on the story and you and I were sort of talking about our next steps. And then lo and behold, Jaden Sellers, boom, puts it out on Twitter. No nonsense whatsoever. And no surprises either. His recruitment had taken off a little bit. You know, Virginia Tech had offered Cincinnati. The original offer, of course, Syracuse. His brother was committed there. But just I, I thought kind of fit his personality a little bit, man, that this was a very low-key recruitment, low-key commitment. And from the moment that Lenoris flipped from Syracuse to South Carolina, I it sort of just felt like younger brother was going to end up in the same uniform. It did, and not surprised by the no-nonsense because, you know, look at his brother, also a pretty low-key guy. Kind of an interesting recruitment for Lenora Sellers because South Carolina was his third commitment, Wes, which you would not think, but that's not your typical third commitment type of guy. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you have a guy who's been committed to three schools and that comes with, like, a stereotype. Lenore's the complete opposite, right? It just had to do with like coaching changes mainly. And then South, of course, South Carolina not offering until later in the process. But you, you knew, Wes, when when South Carolina offered Lenoris, they offered Jaden, and you knew that this one was eventually going to go in this direction, whether it was October 26 when it happened, whether it was a few months ago, whether it was a few months from now, uh, you knew this was the direction it was going to go. Um, and you know, this is a, not a surprising pickup at, in, in any form or fashion, Wes, but I, I think still an interesting one and I think a quality one, you know, uh, I don't think this is your, some people might be wondering if they maybe are a little bit more of a casual fan or haven't kept up. Hey, was this just kind of a throw in, right? That some, sometimes people just wonder that, right? How good is he? How does he compare to Lenoris's talent level, right? Jaden's a very productive player in high school actually got injured against Hartsville for South Florence. So he'll be out the rest of the year, but was on his way to a good season. Um, and maybe not the most physically imposing receiver Wes, but man, he, you just look at the tape, the production, we saw him in camp a couple times this summer. He can run plays bigger than his size runs really good routes and, and is a good athlete too. And I was, I was pretty impressed watching him run around this summer in camp in that setting. Yeah, we're going to go to the film here in a moment. But, Chris, not not that there was really any substance to this thought anyway, but, of course, in today's era, fans are always worried about the transfer portal and, you know, we might lose this guy, we might lose that guy. Even though I think we thought Jaden was going to end up at South Carolina regardless, I do think for fans, you can probably take this as a confirmation, as a good sign, as, hey, older brother has had a good experience so far. If if Lenoris was unhappy or Lenoris didn't feel like he was getting a fair shot or if, there, if there's anything behind the scenes there that would make him unsure about the situation at South Carolina, you would not see Jaden committing to the Gamecocks, especially not this early. You know, like it's not like there was anything forcing him to go ahead and pledge to South Carolina. So I think for them to uh, to go ahead and get this commitment can ease the concerns, even if there wasn't any reason to warrant it in the first place, ease concerns about Sellers and his future, Lenora Sellers and his future at South Carolina. Um, there's a very real possibility you're now going to get to see what we're going to see this weekend with Max Johnson throwing passes to Jake Johnson, 
there's only been a handful of guys in the history of the SEC to have a brother-to-brother touchdown pass situation. So very, very cool. You could in the not-that-distant future, again, Jaden, to 2025, uh, you could see a Lenoris to Jaden touchdown pass in the SEC, which is something that we obviously saw at South Florence last year. Wes, name all of the brother-to-brother touchdown connections in the SEC in the last 15 years. Oh, wow. Um, I I was just totally joking. Do you, you well, seriously know some? I know some of them. I know the Johnson brothers. There, well, there you uh, go. I got that one. And so how, how, many, how many booty brothers have there been? <laughs> John, David, and Josh? I'm try- so the the only reason I remotely have a shot here, y'all, is because we do, by the way, do some prep going into weeks. Believe they showed this on either A&M versus Alabama or A&M versus Tennessee. I can't remember. I, I think it was A&M Alabama. They showed the graphic of which brothers had – and I don't even remember if it was just SEC or if it was literally like FBS. But there, there's a booty brother that has caught a touchdown. I don't even remember how many of them there have been because one of them went to Tennessee and one went to Oklahoma, right? I, I think so. I felt like one was at Southern Cal, but that might have been a different booty. You also have – you also have, <laughs> oh, man, this is about to go off the rails. You also have general booty. Out of Oklahoma. Not sure if there's a relation. I think that's the same family, right? Anyway, I should I shouldn't be saying I have no idea. I, I'm so dialed into my Gamecock yes. like window here, this box that we're in. I, I shouldn't be speaking on it if I don't know. But I shouldn't have even I'm, brought up the, the question. I surely have no well, answer. Now it's but- bothering me because I, I saw it this week. The graphic they popped up, it was really like four or five combinations. Wow. So, anyway, we'll we'll effort that. Maybe we, we maybe I don't know. We might. Anyway. I have an answer. So, Chris, this this game for South Carolina. Actually, you know what? This is how far off the rails we've got. We're supposed to be talking about Jaden Sellers here. <laughs> how do we so, get? Uh, oh, brother to brother. Yeah, yeah. That that is how there was a path. Like it wasn't just it wasn't just a random thing. There was a path that got us here. But let's get – if I can make this work, let's get to the Jaden Sellers highlight tape here. This is from this year. This is midseason. Pretty updated. And let's see. Make sure we got this right, y'all. I'll let you go first, man. What do you see when you watch Mr. Sellers on film? Yeah, I think you pointed out too, Wes, that they had used him in some in some wildcat situations uh, this year as well. A, a little bit different than uh, last season, you know, when they just clear everybody out and say, "All right, Lenoris, run run the football," which they did not only in short yardage, but just you know, it might be first down. They say go take off and run the football. But again, here you look at it, Wes. This guy's got some burst, right? That that ball that you just saw thrown, if you're watching was actually a little bit underthrown. And here, so two traits that I was going to point out, you saw back-to-back. So yeah. isn't a 6'4", chiseled receiver, right? Not not going to just blow you away with what he looks like. He doesn't look like, you know, Alshon Jeffrey or Xavier Leggett. But when he gets going, he's got the ability to run. Like, he can, he can get downfield. He can give you a vertical presence. He has some burst when he's running. And then he can go up and get the ball. Like, he plays bigger than his size. Um, he had a couple super impressive catches in camp this summer that kind of along the lines of some of what you see on his film, had a diving catch on a ball that I didn't think he had any chance to get. Dove got it, and then he he went up and got the ball over somebody in camp, which we saw earlier on this highlight tape too. So, you know, can not amazing size and, and will continue to fill out and get bigger, I'm sure, Wes, but he can run, and he he kind of plays bigger than his size with his ball skills. Yeah, I I just like the physicality, man. Like um, he has a 
he has a physical mindset, I think is the best way to say it. And he's you'll see on here he's willing to block for his teammates, which that that's part of that. But then the the ability just to go do it is another part. And you see him making I think I think we already had that highlight. I think it already popped up, but there's like a he, he's actually pancaking a guy on the outside. And then there's a couple of runs where it looks like, man, they just said, hey, we're we're gonna use him in some of these the way we did Lenoris, and that's by stacking a bunch of blockers in front. If you're on the video version, you'll see it right here. This is what they did with Lenoris. I mean, teams just could not stop it. But he see, you see this balance right here? Contact balance is the sort of new age phrase I, I think they like to use when it yep. comes to running backs. But he uh he gets hit, but his just uh his center of gravity, his lower body strength. There's a bunch of plays on here where like his top half sort of gets drugged down. And you're like, that looks first of all painful. Second of all, very hard to stay up. And he just manages to stay on his feet. So I mean, I, I think we're probably in agreement. This is a slot receiver at the next level. That's how you're going to profile them. But they just use them all over. And they, they run a lot. If you're looking right now, they run a lot of two tight ends or, or even, you know, there's like an H back and a tight end involved here. So it's not a lot of three wide, at least on this film, where he can actually go play the slot. So he's playing outside as a wide receiver when he's a, when he's a wide out. And they use them, you know, down the field kind of the outside perimeter screen game, like I talked about earlier, as a blocker as well. So, I mean, he's a pretty versatile high school receiver slash playmaker. And it's still, I mean, he is right on the cusp of four-star status. He's a high three-star. He's an 89 rating, which is a 90 rating on on three is a four-star. He's an 89, Chris, on both on three and 24-7 sports which I, I think is noteworthy. The rivals ranking right now is kind of dra uh, dragging down his industry ranking, which is the average of them all. And so I, I retweeted Charles Power from on three. He actually sees some of the things we saw as well. He said, new South Carolina commit Jaden Sellers is a quick, fluid receiver, like his change of direction and toughness after the catch. So for one, if I have any thought in an avowal context, and then Charles says the same thing, I kind of pat myself on the back just a little bit because that's how much I respect Charles's opinion on things. But the uh, the fact of the matter is, man, this is this is a kid who makes, makes plays at South Florence, and if he was a little bit bigger, I think probably has uh, already a much bigger offer list and probably a, a higher ranking by his name. Yeah, I, I agree. And look, man, it in some ways could end up mirroring Lenoris's recruitment in in one respect. Not the I, I think Jaden Sellers <laughs> sticks with his original commitment to South Carolina and doesn't have what we saw with Lenoris. Uh, but just being a little bit more undervalued, right? Um, interestingly, Jaden got hurt during his junior year. Lenoris got hurt during his junior year, and so I remember watching Lenoris against Irmo his junior year, Nicky Minwari was on that Irmo team, good team. Lenoris goes down the road to Irmo from South Florence, puts up 63 on Irmo, right, and just made it look easy. And you're sitting there going, gosh, who who is this? Like, I knew who he was, right? But you're like, okay. He ended up getting hurt after, I think, what, four games. And that might have hurt his stock, especially with the way that quarterback recruiting is, how early it is, kind of that sense of urgency. Then he had the senior year he did, and you're going, all right, where are all the other schools that should be offering this kid with the size, the skill set, the stats? He ended up being undervalued from a stock standpoint with colleges. He was also under undervalued from a ranking standpoint for quite a while, and Charles Power from on three was kind of the first on the sellers train, and he, he continually even moved up sellers and some of the rest of the industry also caught up with that. So maybe we see some of that with, uh, with Jaden Sellers as well. Yeah, I think a very real possibility of that, man. Um, like you said, there, there. I mean, there are some bloodlines here too. Like, I, I think with with both sellers, you can just kind of tell that they're difference makers, and the coaches that uh, you know have coached them there in high school, they all speak very, very highly of this family. 
both these kids. And and they had a very, from what I've heard, man, even just that the fact that they're brothers, you can almost feel that connection on the field in terms of their rapport together last year and how dialed in they were with each other. So I think you're getting a good player. And I think the fact that he is Lenore Sellers' brother is just kind of a cool note that they could be you know, that Lenoris could be throwing a pass to Jaden at the next level. I think you're taking the kid because he's a good player in his own right, you know. So I, I think anytime you sort of – like the headline for something like this is almost always going to be, hey, Jaden Sellers, Lenoris Sellers' brother, but he's made his own name for himself a- as a player, which I, I think is really, really cool. And, again, first commit for 2025 um, for South Carolina. In-state guy, which obviously is always big as well uh let's see all right so we're gonna move to david sandhop here in a second tex ags but first we did not have a show on monday so chris have you in the meantime still been rocking your bird dogs uh actually as of right now since you asked you want Rocking to tell everybody about them? I will tell everybody about them. They, I, I, I didn't know if you wanted me to because I might take up more time than we That's actually fine. have. That's okay. Fine. Well, yeah, you'll grant me an, an exemption to talk about how awesome bird dogs were. By the way, I heard, Wes, our buddy Kev Roche has been hearing so much about bird dogs on the show. He's asking me about them. He's about to pull the trigger. Even asked me about the pants that I've got upstairs. Don't need pants right now today. It's it's nice out. So that's 79. So I'm still rocking the shorts. Been rocking them all day. I rock them probably almost every day. Liner on the inside, super comfortable. They are casual, Wes, but they're dressy enough to go hang out and not look like you're just wearing a pair of gym shorts. So Bird Dogs is awesome. And we still have, I believe, the promo code. Birddogs.com slash Gamecocks. Or just go to birddogs.com and enter the promo code Gamecocks and you will get the free Hydro Flask style water bottle. Is that still what they're offering? I believe it is. Over from our friends at Bird Dogs. Check them out. Yeah, just enter Gamecocks and then just be surprised with what they send you. They'll send you something. How about that? We'll, we'll leave it at that. But no, I, I do think that is correct. And of course, shout out Bird Dogs. Appreciate their support here of GC Live. Let's go out now. As we try to do every week, we haven't hit that goal every week, but we try to at least bring y'all something from the opposing sideline this week. This is, again, via Tyler Head over at 107.5. little breakdown with David Sandhop, who has been covering A&M for ever, I think is uh, the best way to say it. But some good stuff here. This is David Sandhop from Texags, the premier site for Texas A&M football coverage we'll go out to that now and then we'll be back to talk about it and close out some thoughts on texas a&m so we'll jump into that uh david uh, first of all thanks so much for taking a little bit of your time to uh, join us this morning uh sitting at four and three i gotta ask what's what's the mood out in aggie land about this team about halfway through the season now well the uh the mood's not very good i think uh uh, most fans were expecting uh, a little bit uh, stronger uh, of an effort uh, this season. I think uh, they've really been disappointed in the offense, and uh, you know Connor Wiegman went down, but still they've had troubles establishing the, the run game and uh, just having a hard time moving it. Uh, speaking of Connor Wegman going down in that game against Auburn a couple of weeks back, obviously Max Johnson has now stepped into that starting role. And look, he's he's not some scrub. He's somebody that was a starter at LSU a couple of uh, years ago and was a highly touted recruit coming out of high school out there in uh, in, in Georgia back a, a couple of years back. How different is this offense with Max Johnson at the helm compared to when Connor Wegman was running it? Well, I think the uh, the difference in what has been the challenge uh, for the offense is that uh, uh, Max Johnson, he's uh, a little bit slower on his reads in the pocket and uh, has a pretty long release. So he can tend, he, he, he tends to, to stay back in the pocket quite a bit. And with some of the struggles in the offensive line, uh, that's uh, the pressure's really hurt. And that has really kept the offense, has kept the offense from being consistent is that uh, he's just, you know, so many plays are breaking down downfield. Uh, I mean, there's nobody open downfield, and there's not enough time to get open. 
And so that's really, I think that's been the big thing, is that a combination of Johnson's uh, deliberate uh, reads and uh, slow release, and then the offensive line has struggled. The, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. We know a thing or two about an offensive line that's struggling, and South Carolina's had their own problems with that this year. Uh, looking ahead to this game this weekend, South Carolina's defense has had a lot of issues as well, and I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks. I, I think Max Johnson could very much be in line for a breakout game this weekend when you look at the likes of Will Rogers, how they how he performed against South Carolina. Graham Mertz a couple of weeks ago having his first ever 400-yard game in college. Like do, Looking at this matchup, is there a potential for Max Johnson to maybe finally have that breakout game this weekend? Uh, well, again, I think that that depends on uh, you know the protection up front, and it'll also depend on what South Carolina decides to do. Uh, my guess would be that uh, if, if they've looked at the tape, they're gonna you're gonna see a lot of blitzing and a lot of stunts and packages to really try to uh, to uh, to get to Max, because once you get to Max, you've um, he's not. Uh, uh, he's not slow, but he's not the, uh, I guess, the quickest out of the pocket. So uh, I think that's going to be key, going to be the key on both sides. I think you're going to see A and M really try to uh, get to Spencer Rattler quick and and make things happen. So I would expect you're going to see a lot of blitzing on both sides. Uh, speaking of those offensive line issues and, and having plenty of them here at South Carolina, how many different combinations on the offensive line has A&M trotted out there this year? Uh, you know, not not a whole lot. They, they, they've been pretty constant. They've uh, they've rotated uh, the guards a, a little bit. Um, I think the right tackle spot. They've, they've, uh, you know, they started a true freshman at right tackle, and he's had his struggles. And so they've, they've brought in uh, a more experienced backup who probably isn't as talented. Uh, but overall, they've been. I mean, I would say there, there have been a lot of injuries on the offensive line. Not a lot of. Uh, switching around so it's just that the the ones that are out there just aren't getting it done right again talking to david sandhop from texags.com giving us insight into the saggies program ahead of the gamecocks heading out to college station for the noon game coming up this weekend one of the biggest stories of this offseason was obviously the addition of bob petrino to this coaching staff to become the offensive coordinator where jimbo fisher uh, you know had to give up his play calling uh, abilities out there how much of an input is Jimbo still having on this offense or is he uh, hands off and letting Bob Petrino run the whole show well I think that's a big question is that uh, a lot of fans still think that uh, what they're what they're seeing still looks like Jimbo Fisher but uh, you know I, I just it's hard to believe that uh, you know Bobby Petrino given his uh track record and given you know his kind of stature i don't think he would stay around very long if uh, he weren't allowed to call the plays but uh either way it's, it's not looking uh too different with with max johnson in there and i think it boils down to is that it's just i think max has forced uh bobby to he, he just doesn't call what he wants to call like i said max is uh not the 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 quickest uh, releasing the uh, out there, and so that really um, that hinders a lot of the the quick hitting. In fact, you, you just don't see a lot of quick hitting uh, type of pass plays. Uh, you know those things that uh, you know quick uh, you know hits to the to the seam or slants or a lot of swing passes. It's a lot of downfield stuff, and uh, I think that's just because you know Max just isn't good at, uh, at those quick quick passes so that's really limited what uh what petrino can do or what we think petrino is doing so but yeah that's been a big big question on the boards is what's going on we thought we were we were getting a new offense and it's looking a lot like the old offense uh and and speaking of that offense did you think through seven games and i smith wouldn't have an offensive touchdown uh well, uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's really you know across the board. You had, 
you ask me, uh, would this offense be struggling? And of course, a lot of that is Connor and the, the the injury to Connor Wiegman. The offense did look better with Connor Wiegman earlier in the year. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, of course, you're thinking Anas Smith uh, coming back for a uh, for an extra season that he would be given his experience and what he's done in the past. You'd expect a lot more production. Uh, but again, if you're uh, if the trigger man can't get you the ball, it's kind of hard to, to to catch balls and score touchdowns. So uh, a lot of that goes back to what's going on with the quarterback and the offensive line. Talking to David Sandhop from TexAgs.com, giving us some insight into the Aggies program ahead of Saturday's game. Uh, Coach uh, Fisher was, was pretty vague when it came to his injury update on uh, Monday in his weekly press conference. What can you tell us about what's going on with uh, Edgerrin Cooper and uh, Walter Nolan ahead of Saturday's game? Uh, like I said, they, they're pretty closed-lipped about it. I would, um, just from what I've heard, I think Edgerrin Cooper uh, is going to give it a go. Uh, Walter Nolan, uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, but I for A&M fans and the, the coaching staff, the, the injury to Walter Nolan isn't nearly as impactful as Edron Cooper. So my guess would be that uh, they would be willing to let Walter Nolan sit out because A&M, if, they're, if, they're, if there's one spot on that field where they're deep and talented, it's defensive line. So that injury, while Walter Nolan is certainly one of the best uh, defensive linemen that A&M has, it's not going to be crippling for them to have him sit out. So my guess would be there's a greater chance you'll see him uh, skipping the game. Uh, Edron Cooper, though, is a key component uh, to this uh, linebacking crew, to the defense. So, uh, And from what I've heard, I would be surprised if he didn't give it a go. And if he goes out there and he's not able to go, or at least not at 100%, how does it change um... – how they attack this uh, South Carolina offense, specifically the offensive line? Uh, well, I'm not sure it changes their approach. I still think they're going to do whatever it takes to put pressure on Spencer Rattler. I think the issue is going to be is, well, can they be effective in doing it? And so that is going to be a critical factor uh, because I think that a still realizes they're going to have to put pressure. Number one, I think they've seen – that uh, you know Rat- that Rattler can't if if you don't give him time that uh, Rattler isn't nearly as effective. Uh, the pressure does bother him a little bit. Uh, the other thing is that you know the A and M secondary, although has not been tested so far given the type of uh, offense they played, has been the concern all season. So they know that uh, you know if you let uh, you know, Rattler time. Uh, to throw, it may not be a good outcome, which is why I think you're going to see a lot of blitzing from a All right. Um, cut off a little bit shorter than I thought there, Chris. But So that was David Sandhop, texags.com, and we always sort of do our reaction to those interviews. My, uh, my initial thought, man, first of all, I feel like whenever we hear from people who cover other teams and they talk about issues that teams have, that team has had, there's always like that context of, all right, man, is it really as bad as y'all think it is? Or are y'all just in your Texas A&M bubble, just like we're in our South Carolina bubble? Like is the A&M offensive line as bad as, they think it is out there, their fans, their media, or are you just getting exposed by Alabama and Tennessee the last two weeks, um, you know, prior to the the bye week for those guys. And then I was just a little surprised at how down the vibe seems to be out there on Max Johnson, man. Like I, I knew he had not set the world on fire, but that was that that was a, a not very positive take. <laughs> yeah, it is the the classic example this of this West past couple years of what you're talking about about being in the bubble is probably Georgia, right? Saying that they don't have a lot of depth at running back. Now, I mean, they don't. Now that Georgia doesn't have T- 
Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb, right in that crew. But but Georgia's always got good backs, and and that will be that's a that's a death in taxes, you know, type of thing, in my opinion. Uh, and so you always do have to qualify there. Like if Georgia said, ah, you know, there's left tackle hasn't been that great this year, and it's like, all right, well, <laughs> you know, there's levels to this. Um, I, I will say, Wes, you know, there's some books that are out on Texas A&M, so to speak. And I think it's not just what A&M is saying. Like uh, uh, talking to some other just people around college football, the consensus is their front line is incredible, right, defensively, kind of universal. But there's also some agreement that ah, they have struggled up front some and the drop-off from Connor Wigman to, to Max Johnson has been probably more substantial than A&M people would like, like it's noticeable. Now, does that mean it's, you know, bad or whatever adjective you may want to use? Probably not. You know, Max Johnson's still a guy that he's played at LSU, he's played at A&M, he's had some good games in his career, he is capable. And I think, honestly, Wes, this goes back to the question we've been asking this week and in multiple other games even if A&M has these issues, which they have shown, can South Carolina exploit them, right? So if you're talking about the offensive line not protecting Johnson as well and him not being as mobile and having a longer throwing motion, that sounds great. You pinpoint that, okay, that's an area. But the Gamecocks have not shown the ability to rush the passer, to pressure the quarterback, to create sacks, tackles for loss. That's actually been a big problem area for them this year defensively. So can can they take advantage of it? And that, I think, is, is a key question in this game. Yeah, and I think when you talk about football being a game of matchups, that is always the question. Can that opponent actually expose those matchups? Can they make it matter? And, it, it, you know, when you flip it, it's can you, can your team, expose the weaknesses on the other side can you make it matter and you know for for South Carolina I think the scary part of this game is that some of your exact weaknesses match up with A&M strengths and other than even with a different cast Chris different cast of players other than last year which was a really as far as modern football goes that was kind of a defensive battle, man. Like you had big plays from specialty, like 30 to 24. You look at that, you don't necessarily say, oh, that was super low scoring. But when you factor in how many of those points were directly off turnovers or special teams, you know, kickoff return for touchdown, just kind of the flow of the game, it very much, as far as modern standards go, was a a sort of low-scoring defensive game. And so you look at that, A&M, man, two years ago and then – or two seasons ago, basically, two games ago, three games ago coming to Columbia. I mean, they have just – the game before that, they have just owned South Carolina in the battle of A&M's defensive front versus South Carolina's offensive line to the the extent that they had no chance, I feel like. That's that's exactly right. Like, even the the North Carolina game for South Carolina, in some ways you say, man, South Carolina got owned up front in that game, but they still were able to give Rattler just enough time to get some throws off, to make some plays down the field, to where they had a fighting chance to go win that game. This has been different from that. This has just been, you know, run the ball on first down, to not get into second or third and long and what oh, what happens tackle for loss and you're in second and 12 second and 13 and so if you're South Carolina it's one of those things it's very easy for you and I to sit here on a podcast and say it it's completely different to go do it but you you have to avoid if you're going to have any shot you can't be sitting there at home watching this game tomorrow and start seeing second and 13 flash on the screen all day. Third and 10 is on the graphic all day. You're just not going to survive doing that because 
this South Carolina defense on the other side, if you want to talk about complementary football, A&M has some weaknesses on offense. It is pretty apparent. But the South Carolina defense we've seen the last few games against SEC opponents has just not looked like one that has been able to expose those things, I think. Yeah, I mean, and, and right now, Wes, frankly, when you're picking out like the warts and the problem areas, you know, you're talking about these problem areas to try to exploit on A&M, like if you're picking out one from the South Carolina defense, you, you can't focus on just one, right? Because sometimes you say, well, this team's pretty good at this, but they haven't done that, right? Lately for South Carolina, it's been, you know, you're not getting turnovers, which has been a big hallmark of this defense the first couple of years. You're not getting turnovers. You're not stopping the run. You're not very good right now in man-to-man coverage. You're, you're not very good in zone coverage, frankly. We've seen some busts in that area. And you're not able to rush the passer. And really, Wes, when you break down, the, like, that's that's all, that's the whole enchilada, right? So... You're not even able to, like, we talk about complementary football. You can't play complementary defense even. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you have a good defensive call on, oh, well, let me add another one. They've been very inconsistent tackling. So that really and truly is the, the whole enchilada, like perimeter play. You know, complementary football, yes, offense, defense, special teams, but even just complementary defense, doing one thing, what one unit picking up the other. If you have a good defensive call on, and your guys have covered the receivers for four seconds, that fifth second may be what gets you in trouble, right? Or not being able to, you know, get the ball off of somebody when you've you've got pretty good coverage, but they just beat you one-on-one. Like, we have literally seen everything. And so can they, you know, you, you, it's hard to say yes. I think they'll turn it around dramatically, but it is the key question. You know, can they? exploit those things same thing a&m's defense david sandhop said it um they have some vulnerabilities in the secondary can you take advantage of them because not only have you struggled to give rattler time you've got a very very banged up receiving core right now as well yeah for for sure man and so we still got a lot to unpack there i feel like but for me first of all this and this is going to be my prediction for our GC predictions later on for that article. To me, this is a game of the first. And what I mean by that is first downs and the first quarter. Because on both sides, we've seen South Carolina, even though they forced that early three and out against Missouri last week, what happens after that? Was it 24 straight points allowed on defense? When they've been on the road, there's been a very distinct difference between the way South Carolina's games have started during these three seasons on the road versus at home, I I feel like. Then you turn that to the other side, you look at Texas A&M offensively, man. they I told you this on the radio today. They went through a stretch where so A&M goes into the Bama game. They had scored – on the first two possessions of the game, every other game this season. They go into the Bama game. They actually scored on the second possession, and the first possession broke their streak because they drove down. They were like around the Bama 30. They have a fourth and one, so fourth and makeable, and and they don't get it. So that broke their streak. Well, then they turn around. They go to Tennessee, and in those first two drives, they didn't score on both, but AM scores a touchdown on their first offensive drive of that game. So every single first drive of a game this year, they have been in a position to get points. And so for me, like that's once again a strength. Hey, they come out with a great plan on offense. You can say whatever you want. I know A&M people are down on their offense. You can say whatever you want, man. But if you score on the first drive of just about every game, you had a pretty good plan on offense. You had a good script. 
and you did a very good job of repping it that week. Like, I, I don't care who you are. And so can you just get into the flow of the game if you're South Carolina without feeling like you're chasing points? And then um, the other side of that, Chris, we all know third downs and third and longs are based on first downs, basically. And then first downs get you to second downs. The, the way you become a good third down team is to be better on first and second down. I think you've got to go throw the football on first down because I think if you're just running the ball right into the teeth of this defense, that actually – I feel like they create even more havoc getting tackles for losses on first down than they do getting after you on third down pass rush. Now, they get to you on third down pass rush – don't get me wrong, but their just havoc rate up front stopping you against the run is off the charts. So I would like to see South Carolina do a lot of what they did in the second half against Missouri, move the pocket, throw on first down, not necessarily even the side-to-side -side short passes, but I felt like they were able to hit some sort of shorter, almost intermediate-type throws against Missouri in the second half. So to me – that's the only way you have a shot is to try to you, – you got to throw it when they think you're running it, and you got to run it when they think you're throwing it. Because if you just stick to your script, they're going to eat you alive. Yeah, and it's going to be – that is actually going to be fascinating, Wes, to see kind of what the game plan is because, you know, it, it's tough to kind of formulate a strategy right now for South Carolina when you where you can say, all right, we know this might have to be a shootout. You know, hard to do that because of, of all your injuries offensively. Earlier in the season, you might feel a little bit better about that. You also can't say, all right, let's run clock. Let's be really, let's play it safe and rely on our defense. You can't really do that. But I, I do think you are going to have to, in some form or fashion, be a little bit more unconventional. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, A&M's ability to kind of wreak havoc. And, and Dowell Loggins was talking about the third and six plus, I think it was, cut-ups where there's just a lot of plays because A&M forces a lot of third downs. And then they really get after you, and it's really tough. But they're good on early downs, too, because this is a really good defense. They are tied, West for number one nationally with Brent Venable's Oklahoma team. 9.3 tackles per game allowed. I think South Carolina is near the bottom of the country offensively allowing, I think it was eight per game. So A&M allowing even – or forcing even more than that. And then West third down conversion defense, A&M is tied for sixth also with Oklahoma. Weird stat, Oklahoma and A&M have literally the exact same third down defense percentage, .286, and also both 9.3 tackles for loss a game. So kind of weird there. Uh, point is, they have wreaked havoc on early downs and on all downs in terms of tackles for loss. They're one of the best teams in terms of sacks in the country, and they're on, they're giving up less than 30% on third downs. A big part of that is because they do get you in third and long, and then on top of that, they're so good rushing the passer. Yeah, it's and to be clear, there I don't think there's I don't think there is a magic wand. Like in any game plan you come up with against these guys combined with South Carolina's deficiencies right now, you're kind of like, all right, let me pick the least bad option and try to give my team a chance. Because I think we all know, man, they're going to need, they're going to need to create some turnovers in this game. You're going to need some just things to go your way. You're going to need to win the special teams battle. A&M had, I mean, they have in Anaya Smith, an absolute, stud of a punt returner, but they've also given up some punt return yards of their own. So you're going to need all those little in-the-margin things to go your way. Literally, you're going to need the ball to bounce your way. If it hits the turf, then it falls in your hands instead of theirs, you know, in order to have a chance to go win this game. They are banged up, which I think is is obviously a factor, but I think it's especially a big factor this week because of that A&M front and because of their approach to defense. From what I understand, man, so we got the official response from Beamer on Thursday. A.B. obviously out at wide receiver. We know Juice Wells is out. We know Vershawn Lee is out on the offensive line. 
all the other guys who were in question are still officially questionable. So that would be Xavier Leggett. That would be Tro Ball. That would be Tree Babalade. That would be Case and Henry. And I think, Chris, from, from what I have heard, and I know you heard some things earlier in the week from what I heard today, of that group that is questionable, it sounded like to me Leggett may be the closest to possibly being able to give it a shot. Um, I think it's dangerous 24 hours ahead of time when we start predicting things on injuries because some of it will just depend on how they felt today, how they feel tomorrow, and and those things. But But the impression I got, Chris, was that it's going to be pretty tough for those offensive linemen to to play like that it that that's a little bit more of a long shot whereas Leggett would be truly more about how does he feel on Saturday like there's a real chance he could be suited up yeah and and that is what I and that was earlier in the week Wes and to be clear haven't heard an update here on Friday at 2 54 p.m as we as we talk uh, maybe we'll get another one you know before the yeah. game but yeah, I mean a banged up football team, right? With you know, you you, you basically are going to you're going to be down two starting receivers. You're going to be, you know, down Xavier Leggett will not be 100%, right? Even if he plays. And then you've got all the O-line injuries, you just don't have any depth there. Uh you don't have multiple starters or potentially don't have multiple starters there, which is a bad recipe against this A&M team. So a a, t- a tough situation to be in, man, just from an injury standpoint. And uh, just just really need to get healthy. You would have loved another bye week somehow in between here, but yeah, nonetheless, that is not that is not coming to rescue. Yeah. And so when what I heard on Leggett, that was Friday morning this morning. Um, you know, and still it was it was nothing was solid. It was just kind of of that group. It sounded like he had the best chance to play. Um, I'd kind of be shocked. I'd kind of be surprised, man, on on pretty much all those offensive linemen. I don't know which guy's the furthest along. As of right now, though, we can kind of tell you from the way they finished the Missouri game. Now, Tro Ball did finish the game, so there's not a direct, hey, here's how they lined up with those guys out. But I mean, Chris, there's only so many guys left that have played for you on the offensive line. So you almost can just put the pieces together based on that, that if the questionable offensive linemen are out, you're looking at a combination, and I would probably say it goes left to right, of Ja'Kai Moore, Trey Jones, Nick Garjulo, Ty Wanamaker, and then Sidney Fugar. I mean, that's kind of your five – remaining healthy guys that have played. Yeah. I don't I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. Like no. I think that that's your healthy five that have played. That's your healthy five. And you know the the other guy that's been mentioned lately at least is Jatavia Shivers. Now no it's like you put it earlier, Wes, not ready. Um I don't think uh several of the guys have been ready yet to the extent that they have had to be, right? So mm-hmm. uh Probably he travels, right, I would think. Um, And he has made some strides, but there's a big difference in making strides as a true freshman who you fully planned on redshirting to, you know, inserting into, hey, welcome to the SEC. Here's the best defensive line in the country. You know, it's pretty pretty different. Yeah, and and really, Chris, even if he's not a starter, the – you kind of have to, if you have one more hiccup, one more bang up, shoot, if a guy's helmet comes off, then he, I mean, he might be next guy up at tackle, you know? Yes, I mean, I, I would think so. So I'll tell you all what, guys, a lot of times you can, you can read between the lines based on the travel list or the dress list in terms of where guys are. And, so he did travel last week, and basically, yeah, he he would have been just by default. It seems like the next tackle, 
And then inside, this is just going off last week's interior guys. You're talking about Grayson Maines and John Darius Morgan kind of being your depth. And what did uh, Dow Loggins talked about it earlier this week? They were talking about what's the fewest guys you ever took into a game for an NFL game. Was it like seven or eight offensive linemen? Mm -hmm. I think it was seven. Yep. Seven. And, you know, the NFL, you got a 53-man to start. And that's why they put such a huge emphasis on versatility, too. It's your five guys, and then here's my next tackle, here's my next guard, and maybe here's my next center, basically. And, and you kind of do it like that. But, the uh, man, it's they're, they're in a tough spot there. So uh, the point I was going to eventually get to, we're kind of running out of time, was that this A&M front, that is going to heat you up on third down. And I want to encourage everybody with those like kind of game within the game things, watch what their defensive front does on third down. You're going to see all six guys and they're going to be lined up right across the line of scrimmage. And most of the time it's not a zero blitz. It's not cover zero. Hey, we're bringing all six man to man coverage on the backside. Most of the time, it's going to be, all right, which four, which five guys are coming after my quarterback? That can be difficult, Chris, even for a veteran offensive line group. Well, yep. guess what? You got guys playing beside people they're not even used to playing beside. So I think that's going to be very difficult just from a mental standpoint because everything we're saying right now, A&M knows it as well. They They've done their scouting reports. They've read the injury reports. They know there's different numbers in there. And that's something they already do on third downs. They really heat you up by bringing different guys from different angles. So if they're in third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, watch. You're going to see all the different numbers of the A&M defensive front line up, and they're going to come from different angles each time, which I, I think just makes it very, very difficult on you. It, it does, man. I mean – we and we again we've seen like I was talking about with the defense where you've seen like some of all of the different types of issues sometimes simultaneously. It's been that way on low line. I mean, you're an offensive lineman, you play in the SEC, the schedule South Carolina has, there will be some one on one battles that you lose, especially against really good pass rushers. That would be the case for any offensive line against AM, literally any of them. I don't know who the best offensive line in the country is. Put them against AM, there's gonna be some problems. But it's been more of those for South Carolina. The injuries have exacerbated that. And then schematically, they present a lot of problems to you. And we've seen the Gamecocks have some trouble also with, you know, getting their eyes in the wrong places and not picking up stunts, not picking up different types of pressure. So a major challenge. And that's why we've we've harped so much on this aspect of the game because it really is the most, you know, critical part, the most dangerous part, frankly, for South Carolina. Yeah, Brandon says, Wes, the more I hear you talk, the less I want to watch the game. Not trying to kill your spirit, Brandon. Just um, I just think it's a really tough matchup, man. Um, I will say this on something you said earlier. Injuries, defections, scout team, um, scout team showing out. I don't know what that part meant, but defections, I do I do think there, there is some danger as a program to taking the super high road whenever a player is no longer on your roster, there's some danger in saying, hey, this guy's no longer on our roster. Because it kind of allows fans to fill in the blanks on, oh, he wasn't happy, so he left. And then you see opposing fans are going to take that and say, oh, this guy was a four-star in-state recruit. He left South Carolina. When really, as Beamer confirmed yesterday with his quote on McLeod, kind of adding some more context to that. He was dismissed from the football team. And that that's not revisionist history on Beamer. That's really, frankly, I promise you what we were told, what the other sites were told from the very beginning was that he was let go from the football team. And we're, of course, talking about Xavier McLeod. Well, you put out as a program, the official statement is, He's no longer on the football team. He's no longer on the team. So we're going to use that because that's what we're being given as the official word. 
Um, but sometimes, Chris, people fill in the blanks on stuff like that, I feel like. Yeah, in the uh, in the absence of information, Wes, disinformation. So makes it tough sometimes. I mean, and we've seen that. We've seen this in so many areas, but uh, that, yeah, that's just the latest one. But cosine, that, that is that is what went down. That's how it went down. So staff picks actually just went up on Gamecock Central at three o'clock. No surprise, I'm not picking the Gamecocks in this one. Just a bad matchup, y'all. And I uh, I went against my gut against uh, what was it, Tennessee. Can't do it now. Got to tell y'all how we how we really feel. And I, I just think it's a tough matchup. Um, I will say this. I think the way the schedule sets up, man, it's just a tough few games in a row, too. Like, you, if you're South Carolina, you've got to survive this week and give yourself a chance down the stretch because you have four winnable games after this one. But right now – you just got to try to keep your moxie, keep your, keep any type of positive motivation going through this weekend. Even if you don't win tomorrow, is there something positive to be gained? Is there something you can build from what you see tomorrow that can catapult you into the final stretch of the season? That's what I'd be looking for if I was a South Carolina fan. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, again, tough matchup, tough situation. It'd be tough, Wes, to go play almost anywhere right now, like to go play on the road just because of, you know, not just how this team's playing and some of the challenges they're trying to overcome, but honestly the health of the football team, particularly, you know, on offense, it's just, it's just really ravaged them at this point. But again, not you take all that and then you go on the road against a defensive line. That's been great offensive line problems, issues on defense, probably not in a great position to exploit, any weaknesses on an opposing offense. So tough deal. I'm not picking the Gamecocks either. I've got A&M. Uh, I think, did we say I'm a little bit over the line, Wes, uh, I think on my pick. Um, so I've got the Aggies, you know, fairly comfortably. I think it's just going to be tough sledding in College Station. But you're right. Need, need to come away with no more injuries. Come away with some positives to try to build on. We'll see what happens and then see what happens when you return for a four-game homestand in November. No doubt. All right. He is Chris Clark. Um, I'm Wes Mitchell. And all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll go there. So I will just say this based responding to a question we got on the chat. South Carolina ha- would not dismiss a player just because they wanted to redshirt. Is that yes. a fair enough way to say it? It is. Yeah, we had it. Insider report yesterday, Jay Diz, that explained a, a lot more of this, but um, there, there were several things that all kind of built on each other. If, if that story doesn't seem to make sense to you that a player would be dismissed because the staff didn't want to redshirt him and he did, that's because it does not make sense. And that is not the whole story by any means. Yeah, and and he, he did want to redshirt from what I understand, but – that's not the the full story, basically. And and it's not even it's not one of those things where people are just hiding what really happened either. It's not like there was some big huge thing that led to this. It really is just more a combination of of issues along the way. I, I think it's the fairest way to say it. And um, you know, Beamer said his piece, it'll kind of be left at that. And uh super talented kid. Honestly, but Brandon saying maybe we'll get more info someday. I I doubt it, Brandon, but you never know. Because this isn't just like, oh, something happened and is being hidden. It's just a combination of things over the last 10 months or so that led to it. So, um, And this staff really is not one to throw people under the bus either when they can help it. So, all right, that'll do it for this edition of the show. And Chris, you said earlier that, um, what'd you say, Georgia running backs were like death and taxes? Yep. Inevitable. 
And, you know, normally when you think of uh, death and taxes, not positive things, right? Those are things that you worry about. But you don't have to worry about your taxes. That doesn't mean they have to be fun. You do have to pay taxes as a U.S. citizen. But you need somebody, obviously, in your corner who can help you do it. Navigate those situations. If you're a small business owner, if you have 1099 income, planning ahead, giving you somebody who knows any changes, you know, in the in the laws recently, any adjustments that have been made. Larry and his team at Liberty Tax, they were able to advise me on some of those very things in recent months. I met with him. He met with me and my wife. We've spoken with him. We texted with him. We've emailed with him. Great service. Very knowledgeable. He's seen it all. Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. And you may worry about your taxes, but really don't have to. You got to pay him. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have tax society with our friends at Liberty Tax. Yep. Call me today, 803-462-5576. All right. For Chris, I'm Wes. Y'all have a good one. We'll see y'all on Monday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.